You're tuned into Toby Talks, episode 28, From Bedside to Complex Care Nurse. You know, during this season of Thanksgiving and of the wonderful holidays that are coming about, we have so much to give thanks for when we really sit back and just reflect on our lives, like the fact that we have a home over our head for those who do, the fact that we have food to eat, you know, the fact that we're actually alive and being able to live and do what we want to do. Um, that is in itself enough to give thanks for, right? But do you ever wonder why during the holidays we tend to remember those that are less fortunate? And it's only around that time, you know, where we want to be able to be a blessing to others. Now, don't get me wrong. If that's you, that's awesome. We need as much love and people remembering people during the holiday times. But what about year round? Like who takes care of people who are less fortunate year round? You know, like who feeds the homeless after Thanksgiving? Who gives back after Christmas? Well, let me tell you, I have a wonderful guest today who her job is amazing. Diane is a complex care nurse who works directly with the homeless community. And when I mean this nurse is out there just doing amazing care and not just for their health care needs, but holistically caring for the population that people tend to neglect and only remember during the holiday times. I'm not going to lie. This conversation was a little emotional. Your girl cried about a few times. Okay. But I am so honored to be able to know nurses out there who are doing above and beyond, but even in a field that we didn't even know goes beyond the bedside. And this nurse goes beyond the bedside. I'm just, uh, I'm already talking too much. Let me go ahead and hop into this conversation. Well, let's go ahead and hop into this. I really want to know, like, why did you choose nursing and how how was that for you? And, and what are you currently doing now as a nurse? So I was really fortunate and I discovered early, early, sorry, I discovered nursing really early on. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in high school and my high school offered a medical magnet program. Mm. Um, Johnson & Johnson provided grants to the school and uh, they were able to enroll us in programs. For example, I got to spend, I think it was six or eight weeks one summer um, going to one of the local community colleges and pursuing a certified nursing assistant certificate. Mm. Um, That was pretty cool. I was only, I think I was 15 years old, maybe 16. Um, They also had a nursing program. Uh, They let us take pathophysiology while in school um, they took us to Santa Clara Valley Medical Center and let us do shadowing of nurses. And back then, I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And I spent one of the rotations in the NICU. And one of the nurses asked me, what is it that's drawing your attention to nursing? Why do you want to be a nurse? And I told her, oh, um, I don't think I want to be a nurse. I want to be a pediatrician. And she said, oh, okay, well, why do you want to be a pediatrician? And mind you, I was maybe like 14, 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, okay, what, what's, what's drawing your attention to being a pediatrician? So I told her, oh, I want to take care of people. And she said, okay. So she just kind of let me be, and I was just shadowing throughout the day. And at the end of the day, she said, did you notice anything today? I, what are the, what the doctors are doing? And 
what the nurses are doing. And, you know, we kind of talked about the day and I kind of realized like, hey, I do see that the nurses are the ones spending a little bit more time with the patients. Mm. And I like that. And she she said, yeah, if you, you know, pay attention, you know, the doctors are also taking care of the patients, um, but they're trying to figure out, you know, if there's a disease going on, they're trying to take care of the patient in that sense. Um, they're treating the disease, they're taking care of the disease, but the nurses, we're here to take care of the patients. And I had never wow. thought of it like that. And mm. I said, okay, I think I want to be a nurse. And that was pretty much it. And I, I was just wow. fortunate that I learned about it so early and I had those opportunities. Um, I got into the University of San Francisco's nursing program back in 2007. That's when I graduated high school. Um, but even at that time, it was a $60,000 tuition a year. Wow. Um, and I didn't qualify for FAFSA. I've, I don't know. I felt guilty or scared to, to go into that much debt. Um, you know, my parents couldn't help me financially in that sense. $60,000 mm-hmm. is a lot of money. Um, but I did get merit scholarships. And those, they gave me about 30000 a year. And even though, you know, that's great, it was still too expensive for me. Yeah, not enough. So, yeah, I, you know, I went through a little bit of a rebellious stage and I didn't answer, I didn't reply or accept any other colleges because I was so set on going there. Um, so I ended up going to a community college in San Jose. It's called Evergreen Valley College. And I did my two years of uh, general education there with an emphasis in health sciences and made sure I had my prereqs in and I applied for the program there and I got in right away. So there I was 18 years old and I got accepted into the nursing program and I was just so excited beyond, you know, it it was just my dream come true. So I went in and, and that was always difficult was trying to balance, um, family, friends, and school, because it was such a young age. And, and, you know, at that age, you want to be out and having fun. And, and I, you know, I, I did, I still had a lot of fun, but I always had to keep in mind that I was in school and that I wanted to get through it and just take care of business before, you know, I went out and had fun. Wow. And I, I remember exactly what you're talking about. Cause I mean, when I was in nursing school too, it was hard. You wanted to still live your life, have that kind of fun, be engaged, but the kind of work and the kind of study that goes on in nursing school is like almost impossible where you really are having to like give or take, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I totally understand that. So after your experience in nursing school, what was your first role in, um, as a bedside nurse and kind of like, kind of, Walk me through how you became a complex care nurse now. So I first started at the bedside at a skilled nursing facility. I ended up moving away about two, three hours, maybe 30 minutes past Sacramento um, in Rockland. That was interesting. Um, It was definitely a facility that was constantly at capacity. Mm. Um, And we had a contract with Sutter. So 
a lot of the patients that were going to the facility were higher acuity than you would expect at a skilled nursing facility, at least more than I expected. Yeah, and yeah. We would have 15 to 20 patients at a time. So I definitely had to learn how to prioritize and manage my time. Um, I really feel like if I hadn't have done that, you know, I don't think I would have learned it as fast because mm-hmm. you just have to sometimes. And, you know, you, you get thrown sometimes in situations that you're not expecting. Um, but I, I decided to go back for my master's. And once I did that, I wanted to move back to San Jose. And I started looking at different clinics to see if I could do some like internship hours, get, you know, preceptor and all of that. Um, and I found myself at an FQHC and that's a federally qualified health center. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a non, non-for-profit center and the doctor there, the medical director was pretty awesome since it was a fairly new program and clinics that they were really open to having me on board because I wasn't, there was no one in that position prior to me. And that's how I got into ambulatory care. I kind of was, okay, I, I didn't have the best um, experience at the skilled nursing facility. Um, and I don't want to say I was traumatized, but I was definitely a little nervous to go back to the bedside. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, ambulatory care would be something I might enjoy. Um, and that turned out to be something that I love. I started with doing some projects for school. From there, it just kind of grew to, um, you know, a different position where I was able to work more in like quality. Um, I was able to just kind of network and I started working at an, another clinic for, for Sutter and I just, I think I just kind of fell into it. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was looking to leave my location and I put an application for a, a clinical nurse three and um, basically that gets sent out to various clinics. So you don't necessarily get to apply for a particular clinic all the time. And it doesn't always like the application doesn't always list what clinic you're, you might be working at just lists a variety of clinics. So I just was fortunate to, to land a, an interview at the Valley homeless healthcare program. Wow. And it just seems like your journey has changed from when you were, you know, that experience at the bedside, then going back to school. And now you're realizing that you enjoy clinic um, ambulatory kind of care. Um, before you went back to school, was it just your first, your experience of what you went through at the um, skilled nursing facility is kind of what pushed you to go back to school or what inspired you to go back to school? Because it seems like the role you're working now, does it require a higher degree or could you still have done that with your registered nurse license? It does require a higher degree. Um, I had graduated from the from the evergreen program with my associates mm-hmm. who having to go back and complete that community portion of it was what I fell in love with was community nursing and public health nursing and being um, focused on the community and maybe a certain population and focusing more on preventative health versus, you know, Oh, you're here, you got injured or, 
you're here because of a disease, you know, um, I really like the aspect of, of getting to know the patients long-term. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed it so far. So I really want to dig deeper into your role as a complex care nurse, because I definitely know that, you know, there's a huge homeless um, crisis out here in, in California. And I never even knew that nurses were so impactful um, for this community. So tell me more about what you do as a complex care nurse and, and how you are supporting um, the homeless population with your skills and with your efforts of impacting this community. So our set of complex care nurses, uh, basically we have one complex care nurse assigned to each ambulatory clinic. And if we don't right now, that's what we're working on. Mm -hmm. Um, Those nurses are specifically there to focus on patients who have a high complexity score. So our electronic health system gives each patient a complexity score and that's um, made up of whether they're homeless or not, uh, their comorbidities, hospitalizations, ED visits. It's a variety of components that make up that complexity score. And we focus on those eight and above scores. Mm-hmm. Um, so those patients are the ones that are more likely to be readmitted in the hospital, um, you know, maybe the ones with a, more chronic conditions. Um, and we just focus on trying to improve the patient's functional status, um, increasing the patient's capacity to self-manage their condition. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, that becomes difficult because in our homeless population, a lot of them experience mental health issues. Um, so it can get really complicated. Um, so I think that overall our goal is to improve the patient's experience and we become the patient's advocate through our health system. Um, I also work with a community health worker mm-hmm. and he's, you know, really great at working with patients. He's got a, a strong mental health background and the patients you know, really trust him. And if they patients are scheduled, say at a specialty clinic, um, say, you know, cardiology, um, you know, our homeless population is a little different where transportation is not always um, as easy as for us. You know, they, they don't always have cars. Some people have cars, some people live in their cars, you know, each homeless person situation can vary. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be completely functional and independent um, while they're, you know, living in a tent. Um, that they may some choose to live and prefer to live that way, but our goal is to make sure that we're reaching them as the whole, treating the whole person, not just focusing on the homelessness or um, you know focusing on one condition. Because a lot of times we get um, really focused on say diabetes. Your A one C is too high, and you know, sometimes we don't realize like, well, this person is homeless. Um, sometimes they eat what is given to them. Mm. And can you imagine a, a homeless person telling you give them something, they're going to say, oh, no, this has too many carbs in it. Or this wow. has too much sugar, like you're going to eat what you get sometimes. And that's the case for a lot of our patients. So I think trying to, you know, find and figure out how to deal with those social aspects first. I sometimes feel like I have to put, um, you know, the medical aspect second. Um, 
And once we get a little bit more involved with each patient, they become a little bit more aware and wanting to, to deal with the medical issues. Wow. I am just like blown away by what you're like, you know, sometimes you just think, oh, you're homeless, you're homeless. But we don't think about like, yes, the homeless people need healthcare too. The homeless people need, you know, to see the doctors and nurses. And I'm just blown away by just that thought of, wow, you're right. You know, if, you know, homeless person has diabetes, they're not going to think about, oh, I can't, I can't accept this kind of food because I, you know, my my doctor says I can't have this and this. It's food. I haven't eaten today, so I'm going to eat it. And that concept is just like resonating with me. Like, wow, you know, we just think of their one social aspect issue, but not thinking of them holistically. And that's what you do. So help me understand, because what I'm hearing is that this is a homeless population. You still have to do follow-ups with them. How do you track them? How do you, because, you know, when one homeless person leaves from the emergency room, they could live, sleep somewhere one night and move around and sleep somewhere else. And then sometimes they're even being evicted, which that concept blows my mind. I don't know how you can get evicted from already being outside, but you can be evicted from certain um, uh, outdoor locations. So how do you keep in touch and how do you, how are you able to do follow-ups with your homeless population? So that's where my awesome community health worker comes in. We have teamed up and we are trying to hit up as many departments as we can and let them know that we are there um, and we're there to help them navigate through the system, meaning transportation, picking up medications, um, and just trying to help them go through the system because it can get very complicated and frustrating um, along with the, how you mentioned, oh, you're going to get evicted. They do in San Jose do many sweeps what they call, um, I think they get about a three-day notice and it says, um, you know, in this many hours, say 72 hours, uh, we're going to come and we're going to sweep everything that's there. So everything gets tossed. And a lot of times that includes the medications, ID, if they have a cell phone or not, you know, that may go too. Everything gets thrown out. Um, and sometimes people don't see those signs or, you know, I don't know, maybe someone else took it. And sometimes people are not aware that the sweeps are occur, are going to occur. So all of their belongings may be still in that place. So that becomes an issue, but with our coordination, we've gotten, um, a lot of calls from the social workers and case managers, say, like at the emergency department, at our EPS. Um, So they're really good at either calling us or shooting us an email or a message via our um, electronic health system and letting us know, like, hey, this person is here now. And, you know, if we can, you know, the community health worker will go over there. And um, sometimes there's a misconception where they think, oh, your community health worker is here. So they're just going to take you. And that's not necessarily the case. They may need the attention and need to be there. But at least they know that we are there for them. And uh, some of our patients have, you know, the mental health issues and they can get really agitated. And having that familiar face kind of helps them calm down and maybe be a little bit more cooperative with the staff um, and just advocating for them. You know, it's, it's a scary thing to be in EPS or emergency department or be hospitalized. Um, and sometimes they act out in that sense. And, and just knowing that we're there for them, they seem to be more cooperative. 
Um, and a lot of them have cell phones and they do really well about keeping the cell phones charged. They, I see some of them charging them in our clinic. And believe it or not, that's one of the main ways we communicate is by phone. Um, if not by phone, there's also this really amazing program in Santa Clara County. Um, it's HMIS. And on there, there's actually a portion where we can um, kind of put like a, a drop a pin on a map. And when the patient says, hey, this is where I usually um, stay, you know, whether it's a motel or, you know, an intersection or a, a particular street, they tell us we can actually pin it on that website. And it helps the rest of the team members to know, okay, well, if I can't reach them by phone, then I'm going to go ahead and, and outreach based on that location. Um, so we do that. And the, we work with the city. Um, you know, sometimes there's a, a outbreaks. You know, we have a, a PACE clinic that focuses on our HIV patients um, or say there's an STD and we know that there's a particular area that this person stays and we want to make sure we test or treat the patients in that area. Um, the city's really good about, you know, listening and say, if we call and say, hey, we have an outbreak of this or that. Can you hold off on the sweep? They've been so far really good at, okay, we'll postpone it for a month or whatever it is. Wow. I am, um, I'm not even kidding. I'm literally like so emotional right now because just the thought of you guys are practically like family to these homeless people. Like you are the, you're literally coordinating their care from, and, and trying to, keep in touch with them and, and collaborate with the city. And like, it blows my mind. Cause I think we, we, um, what is it? How, how can I express myself right now? I'm being so emotional, but it's like, we disconnect in a way. Cause you know, we're living our lives. We're working, we are, we're sheltered, we're eating. But for those who don't have that, who don't have a shelter, who don't know where their food's going to come every day, they literally have a team of complex care nurse coordinators and, and public health nurses that are, that are their first responders. Like, I just thought about it. If I was to ever go to the emergency room, of course, I would have family, friends, everybody's going to come and see me. You know, if I'm in a place that I don't know my environment, let's, God forbid, like psychologically, I find myself in a, um, a, in a mental health institution. Of course, I have family and friends that will come and check on me and help me through it. But the homeless population, it seems like a lot of those people struggle and they seem to benefit from seeing your faces and knowing that they have someone that at least is going to follow up with them, help them get transportation, help them get their medication. Like it, it truly blows my mind that, you know, we sometimes disconnect and forget that, you know, they're also people, you know, sometimes we do get too disconnected where we forget in our own lives, but I am just blown away by how the community is using the resources here to even track and locate. And um, I'm just so intrigued by that. So what, what pulled you to want to be such an aid to the homeless population? And, and, and what, what are some challenges that you face in this role? Because I'm just talking to you and I'm emotional. How are you doing this every day? Well, that's, that was my first question when I started was, um, 
how does everyone deal with this every single day? You know, you see a lot of unfortunate situations and circumstances that you would just, you know, sometimes seeing, just seeing the campsites um, can get a little emotional and seeing people in certain conditions. So, you know, if someone has an abscess, you know, we do have IV drug users, um, patients who you know, drink heavily, and there, there is that stigma of being homeless that, oh, you're homeless, so you must do drugs or drink heavily. Um, not all of them do. Um, some do, and they are scared of how they will be treated or have had a bad experience in the past with healthcare. So they just refuse and avoid to, to seek medical care. Mm -hmm. So, for example, drug use, um, people, a lot of people get abscesses in, their, in the skin from the use, and they don't seek care. So we also have this amazing backpack team that literally goes out with their backpacks, um, a doctor, a nurse, or a nurse practitioner, um, the community health workers, and a driver usually. Um, they go out and they go into the streets and look for patients like that. They, they go to um, campsites and, wow. you know, kind of introduce themselves, warn that we're coming because, you know, that could be scary too. Um, and people are, some people will just completely refuse and say, no, I, I'm okay, go. And, you know, we respect it and leave. Other people will say, hey, um, actually, I think my friend needs help. Um, and if they're too shy, whatever it is, we always give them information about the clinic, see if they're willing to go. But most of the time, they're very receptive to us and open about it. I think it's something about knowing it's a doctor and a nurse. People are just more willing to to talk about, you know, whatever's going on with them. Um, I try and talk through it with my coworkers if there's situations where I, you know, I become totally frustrated also because sometimes you know, it's hard to, to, um, to understand almost like the, the why, you know, why people do certain things. Mm -hmm. And some of our patients have been housed, you know, and we, you know, to us and to you know, many people, you'd think that is the best thing ever, right? Mm -hmm. What more could you want? You've got a home now. You're not homeless. Your problems are, you're done. You're, it's amazing. But going from the streets to a home is its own trauma. So patients wow. are leaving those little communities, what support system they may have, and say they were, you know, using drugs. Um, now you're going into a place where, you know, you're not allowed to have drug paraphernalia. Maybe you're not allowed to have friends over. Um, that could be very isolating. Yeah. And wow. having to learn those skills that to most people would be, okay, common sense. I've got trash. I'm going to throw it in a trash bag or a garbage bin, something. And they don't always have these skills for learning how to cook. Those things I think we're still trying to figure out. Um, so we try to take those little wins that we do have and kind of focus on that. And I'm still trying to figure out how to deal with some of it because it, it does become frustrating and I get flustered sometimes. Um, but I... I like to lean on my team because I know it's not just me. There's amazing social workers we work with, 
different programs, um, community resources, the doctors. Um, it's just a really good team that's always willing to discuss, you know, whether it's something medical or perhaps something more social going on with the patient that may be affecting, um, you know, us personally or the patient. Um, I think just communicating has really helped me cope with some of the circumstances. Uh, obviously, because I'm still like, <laughs> I'm still a little, I'm a little shook. I'm not going to lie to you, Diane. I'm a little shook over here. I'm just like, whoa, like, my God. Like, I, so let me tell you a story. When I was growing up, um, I have uh, amazing parents that we would, I think at least once, twice, I know it was like at least twice, once or twice a month. And we were little, like I, I, I could say, like, I remember doing this since I was like very, very little, um, all the way to probably even like high school age where we would go to like churches or Popeye's and just buy like a whole bunch of chicken, a whole bunch of biscuits and then get like individual bags and put like, you know, in each box would put um, the chicken and the biscuit and then also like either some coins because there's also we would go to the Minute Maid Park, which is in Houston, downtown Houston area. And we would put all these in the individual bags and all of us would hop into the minivan because at that time my mom and dad had the old school minivan um, and all the way to the bougie cars. We would hop into the car and we would all go downtown and we would be in the car just for safety reasons because you know my parents have their children but um they would wind down the window and they would and they it got to a point where the homeless people even knew when we were coming and we would hand out all the food until it was gone and it it became a normalizing thing that humbled me as a child and to my adolescent age of realizing that you know don't forget you know, what you have and, and be grateful for those resources. But that impact that you're making, the home, people who are homeless, which could be temporarily, seasonally or, or long-term, whatever the case may be, they don't forget those interactions. They don't forget that someone um, is trying to help them through what they're going through. And I don't know, for me, just thinking about like how you're doing it as a nurse, and I'm just so empowered by the, by what you and your team and all the social services are doing to help people in the time of need. It just reminded me of that time of like, wow, like the little bit that I, that we did do as a family to give back and to help. Um, And we would pray over the food too, right before we gave it to them too. And it was just such an inspiring thing knowing that I was able to help contribute in someone's life. And I shared that story because when I'm hearing you talk about it, like it's not even just your I don't even hear the nursing aspect anymore. This sounds like this is your life. You are a part of a community. They are, they know your face. They know um, your team, and and also the challenges that you see your family go through. Just like any normal person, and you'd be upset if your brother or sister made the stupid decision after giving them, you know, advice or whatever the case may be. And it sounds like that's the same thing you also go through too. That frustration of seeing. <laughs> You know, like, oh, you know, we, we're helping you. Why are you going the other way? But you also talk about like that challenges, like things that are so simple, like throwing trash away or cleaning up after yourself when they're in an environment where they don't need to do that. Trash is almost everywhere around them. And it's like, eh, you know, no one really cares then or taking them away from the community of other homeless people um, and putting them in a home. You, you, I guess you never thought of the psychological challenges that would face with them. And, and, it, and it blows my mind hearing that because it's like, wow, it's so much more than just you providing nursing care. 
um, you are truly holistically providing them resources. So I would like to know what is challenging about your role as a nurse and sometimes not being able to provide all those resources, like the housing shortage, like um, not having enough food to feed them? And, and how do you deal with that? Because I feel like emotionally, I would go home every day trying to clean out my refrigerator and feed someone, you know? It gets really difficult sometimes. And, you know, I just try to deal with it with what I can. If there's something I can do, you know, I try my best and I'm trying, I'm starting to, to learn that there's some things I just have absolutely no control of. And you can give everyone and throw all the resources you have. And sometimes people just don't want them or maybe they're not ready at the time. Mm. And I think that's been a little bit difficult Um, You know, like, I don't understand, you know, we got you housed, we got all your medications, all you need to do is take this medicine, (laughs) you know, or make this appointment, you can't make the appointment, okay, we'll pick you up, and, and, you know, I have a patient like that right now, where he says, oh, um, yeah, I don't think I can make it today, I, I don't have transportation, and I said, oh, you know what, I have my community health worker here today, he'll go get you and bring you back. And then, oh, um, let me check my schedule and I'll call you back. What schedule, bruh? (laughs) (laughs) What schedule? You don't have a job. You are currently homeless. What schedule? I got you. (laughs) I'm frustrated right now. (laughs) That's a patient right, though, right? Right to refuse. And they have the right to refuse. And Sometimes that's one of the most difficult things is, what do you mean? No, (laughs) why not? (laughs) But you brought up another point that actually I've been thinking about was lately and coming, you coming from a whole nother state and a whole nother culture. um, It is very expensive here. So we're seeing a whole new type of homeless population yep, girl yes sweet working Jesus. you have professors living in vehicles out here like professors of university people working at facebook i have never seen this wave of homelessness in my entire life so we're trying to you know maneuver our way we, we recently um started working out of a a mobile medical unit in Sunnyvale also. Um, And they seem to get a little bit more of this population, but there's also, again, the stigma of, I don't want to go to a homeless clinic. I'm, I have a job, you know, Mm. I'm supporting myself. I'm supporting my family. Um, So that's a whole nother (laughs) problem. It's still a homeless population, but you know, each person kind of, have to treat differently depending mm-hmm. on what resources they want. So I think that's been a little bit of my, you know, the toughest thing for me was realizing sometimes people don't want your help and that's okay. That's their wow. choice. Yeah, that's okay. And I heard you mention just now medical mobile unit. What, what, can you go into details about that? What is a medical mobile unit and how is that helping um, the community and the homeless population? So basically picture uh, a giant yellow school bus, but it's not yellow. (laughs) They're usually blue. Um, And they have about two exam rooms, 
maybe not the real size of exam rooms, but there's two exam rooms. There's a little portion for um, our HSR or our frontline staff that check patients in right in the middle. Um, patients come up to the mobile medical unit. Uh, we have some set up at re-entry um, near the, the jail. So pa- patients um, of ours who were recently uh, released from custody, they usually go to this one. Um, we have some that go out to Gilroy as well. Um, and that new one in Sunnyvale, it's basically a, a clinic on wheels. Wow. So y'all even bring the clinic to the homeless. Yes. (laughs) That is crazy. Oh my God. That is crazy. So are you, is this, is the Santa Clara Valley County the only county that is this, um, that you might know of or are all hospitals doing this? Because I have never, I don't, I don't, probably from the South, I have never heard of this practice. So is this something the county that is doing that is starting this initiative and other hospitals are starting to mimic? Or is this kind of something that's kind of the culture here in California? I'm not sure. Um, I've seen, I worked at that other clinic I was telling you about. We did something similar, but we took things in our own cars (laughs) and brought it to like the the migrants, migrant workers camps. Um, We would do physical and things like that there. Um, but I, I think it might be more of a, a Santa Clara County um, initiative. I'm not familiar with other counties, honestly, mm-hmm. to know what they're um, But I did have a patient who was from, I think, Santa Cruz. I don't recall. It was a county nearby. And he said something that, you know, and I've lived here my whole life. I've never heard of. Um, he said we were not known as Santa Clara County. We were known as the Santa Claus County because we just try and give out as many resources as we can that we just for the patients and they want to come here because they know they're going to get the best treatment. So I thought that was so funny that My we were to us with Santa Claus County. I never knew that. I never heard oh, that. Yeah, my heart cannot take it. Oh my God, that is so beautiful. <laughs> the Santa Claus. Y'all, I'm literally crying. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, let me get my life together. Okay. The Santa Claus County. Wow. Because y'all are giving so many resources <laughs> to people. That is so beautiful. That is amazing, especially for a county hospital because you would hear like county hospitals are like, oh, you know, I've come from areas in the south where you know to county hospitals a sketch but uh y'all are doing amazing like amazing amazing work and that is just it blows my mind um do, be honest with me do you did you feel like nursing school prepared you for this kind of role because uh i took community too i don't remember getting this been deep so i I just kind of want to know, like, how did you gain all these skills to work with this kind of population and, and deal with the mental health issues and deal with the lack of resources? Like, I don't know if I got all that kind of exposure in nursing school. I don't think I did either. <laughs> okay, okay. We're on the same page. The first half, you know, we focus, our, our studies are focused so much on inpatient. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't even consider ambulatory as an option and let alone care coordination or, you know, some people case management It's similar to case management. So difference between the, the complex care nurses, the care coordinators and the case managers are that we are focused on the patients for the ones that are recently discharged for those 30 days. 
Um, so we're not in technically supposed to follow them, you know, forever. But with our patient population, it does last longer than 30 because days. Because they're always going in and out, too. Yes. Of the emergency and, room. Mm-hmm. So that's the ones we're focusing on. Um, but I think that a lot of the knowledge came with experience and working with other people and just asking, like, hey, I'm not familiar with, um, you know, this situation or housing. I had never thought about housing before. And, you know, what do you mean I need to help someone get housed? What does that mean? Like, Mm. (laughs) do we do a lot of applications? Is there, you know, government way to go through? You know, I had no idea. So I think using others as resources was very beneficial because there was things, even though I've been in Santa Clara my whole life, there's resources that exist that I had no idea were there. Wow. Um, that's, that's been the biggest thing was just from experience. I think I don't feel like I got that from nursing school, the, the community or, or we didn't really, we, we did a little bit of, of homeless. Um, they did do some teaching actually that I can think of in, in grad school. Oh, okay. In grad school. Definitely not when I got my associates. Okay. And and what I what I am so um impressed with is just the fact that you did say it was that resources, knowing your resources, because you don't know everything, especially when we didn't we're not in that population, you know what I mean? So it's kind of hard to know, like, wait, where do I go for this? Where do I go for that? Because where I go is completely different where someone else who is homeless might need their resources very differently. The same thing with immigration. A lot of people don't know the process of what it's like to um, immigrate from another country into the U.S. and all the standards and the applications and the paperwork and all that kind of stuff. So I like that you highlighted that it was, you know, knowing your resources and being hand in hand with your public health uh, nurses and social workers and um, care management nurses, too. So let me be honest with you. Of course, they never really sold, you know, this kind of role of complex care nurse as a, gla- a glamorous job. It sounds like a very, it, it very, it's a humbling, a humbling, humbling position that you were doing. And I know that being a nurse as well is also challenging. So what is your work-life balance? Do you work like the 12-hour shift like nurses do? Are you office hours? Like, talk to me about how your work-life balance is in a, as a uh, complex care nurse. Office hours. And I do 8, thir- eight to 4.30. Um, I like that little bit that we start a little early because a lot of, um, of our resources or the clinics open around 8, somewhere around 9. So it's nice to get in there and kind of, plan my day and and see if I need to go out to the hospital and visit someone or if I need to find someone out in the community or take someone to an appointment, whatever it is, or accompany them. Um, I really liked it so far because I don't work weekends or holidays. Mm, The sweet life. Yeah. I feel like I'm kind of making it up to my family. Um, I remember going to that nursing school orientation and they basically told us you need to get a planner and you need to pencil people in. If you need to try and spend time with your family, but basically nursing school takes over. And, you know, if you start on the first day of school and you haven't opened your book, you're already behind, you know, some people read, 
10 chapters already, you know? Wow. And I think that this has definitely helped me um, with my family. And, and now my husband, um, we're able to do things in the evening, do things on the weekend. Um, so I, I really like this ambulatory care um, aspect of it. And I really wish I had learned about it sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, even like quality improvement, you know, I, we learned about aspects about it, but I don't recall a course that said, hey, this is an option for you. You don't have to just go to the hospital and, you know, or do 12 hour shifts or 10 hour shifts. There's different kinds of nursing. I know that's right. And that's what really pushed me to do this podcast because a lot of people are still falling into that loophole of, oh, if you're a nurse, you work in a hospital. No, (laughs) stop. Like nurses are in your community. We're in your like everyday fields. Um, It's just people don't know. And we don't even know because like you said, life happens, things change, especially when you go from nursing school being so rigid and being so like time consuming to now going into a field that sometimes can be time consuming um, if you have a family, you know, that's 12 hours, whether it's day or nights might not be what's for you. You might want to do an office time. So you're getting off the same time your kids are getting off from school, your husband getting off from work or whatever the case may be. Or you just like to travel so much that you can do travel nursing, you know? So I, I like that you've um, exposed us to what it's like to be a complex care nurse that works with the population um, of the homeless. And so also, you know, as us millennials, we like to be very transparent and talk about, you know, you've talked about the time, you've talked about like how you work um, and your work environment and, and the challenges that you face and the highlights. So what's the pay like? Is it uh, the same as working at the bedside or do you feel like you have to take a pay cut because you're doing more of a community service-like role? Get, talk about that some more because I know sometimes we kind of get we want to balance each other out. We want to do what we love, but then we also have to make sure we can afford to live. So what has that been like for you? You don't have to give us numbers, but if you like to, girl, go ahead and share the well. But, you know, give us that range. <laughs> I remember living back in Rockland and at that skilled nursing facility, and you're going to crack up. Um, my starting pay there was $27 an hour. As a nurse. Um, what? Mind you. The cost of living there was much lower than here. Um, So when I came to the Bay Area um, and I started working as a nurse in ambulatory care, I initially didn't make that much more. Um, I think it was around 41 Mm -hmm. an hour when I first started in ambulatory care uh, for a clinic. And um, I did an on-call job, actually. And that was paying in the 60s. So that was really nice. Um, and I think it's been pretty fair across the board. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think there's a difference with the inpatient based on our nursing contract. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure there's differentials with um, working PMs and evenings. Um, we also get differential pay for speaking another language. So um, my manager was really good about pushing me to go do my Spanish interpreter test. Mm. So there's other ways to also earn a little extra money, but I think we're getting paid fairly for what we do in ambulatory. That's awesome. And, so, and because your hours, like you stated, were like from eight to three or eight to four thirty. 
are you able to pick up shifts in this role or would it be like you need to have a PRN job somewhere else or another hospital to do inpatient shifts? Because I, I just wonder, how does that work with you? I know it's Monday through Friday and then you're off on the weekends and holidays, but where would you be able to pick up shifts and would it be safe to pick up shifts at night? Um, I worked for Pamph on call with this job for a little while um, because they were open on weekends. Okay. So I would go four to five hours um, on the weekend. Um, but after some time, you know, it just, I just thought I could use that time more with my family mm-hmm. um, or, you know, I wanted to go away on holiday and that's the times they needed me the most because (laughs) the whole time staff also wanted to take off on those holidays. Um, So I think um, focusing not just on the pay, finding what works with my family has been instrumental for me. Even when we purchased our house, I think that's another thing that nurses, I don't I don't know if it's too general to say that, but my husband jokes about it because he sells cars mm-hmm. and he says, nurses always spend a lot of money on things. You guys just spend, spend, spend. And I kind of was like, I, I never really thought about it, but you know, because we get paid well, a lot of times, you know, we do kind of splurge, um, but focusing and making sure that we're at a, you know, at a comfortable space that we're, um, I don't, I don't, I can't think of the word right now. Um, kind of being balanced and having that, that savings of living a balanced life. Yeah. Making sure that, oh, there you go. Well, we're living within our means. Mm, Um, That word that all millennials hate to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times with, you know, social media, um, people are just constantly showing off that they're here or there, or maybe just they can do it. And that's amazing. Um, I think sometimes we, we feel a little pressured yeah. to spend extra on things that we don't need. And, you know, if you are getting that good salary, then um, make sure that you're also saving a bit and, or investing in something. Um, I think that's important to know too. That's very important, girl. I'm even like, you know, it's, it's very important too, because you're right. When we do look at things on social media, we start to hype things up and start thinking we're missing out on something. And a lot of times, you know, even especially with people who travel, they, you know, they be staying in some nice places and then come to find out, oh, girl, you got that for like $40 on Airbnb? Hello? Like, tell somebody. But, you know, the pictures make it look like it's thousands of dollars or, you know, you went to a country and you're thinking they spent $1,000 on a flight and the ticket was like on sale for $100. Like, they don't, people don't see the back work of, you know, the pictures that people post or the lifestyle that people have. And it's very important not to get caught up in that and truly have a work-life balance, like what you're doing. I I love that. And I I appreciate you sharing that and being transparent. So as we wrap up, what advice would you give someone who, um, who's looking forward or or wants to know how to enter the role as a complex care nurse and work with a a population, whether it's the homeless or whether it's, um, uh, you know, patients that need more care in their um, chronic illnesses? Like what kind of advice would you give someone who wants to go into the complex, who wants to become a complex care nurse? I think um, learning about care coordination is going to be very beneficial. Um, Learning, if you don't already work in an interdisciplinary team, how to communicate with them. Um, You know, 
I'm fortunate that in this program, all the doctors, all the staff are very approachable. And, you know, I've been in roles where they are not so approachable. <laughs> and maybe they need to take the class. But learning how to communicate with your team, team members and learning um, about what resources are available. And not just like in the community, but also your colleagues. Um, I found or I find a lot now and I really like that people around my age are in positions that you know, they're also taking care of people and um, we're the ones in charge and we're running this health system. Um, I see it. I see more of a younger crowd and it gets me really excited for the future because I feel like we're all in it together and we're all trying to figure things out and remembering that, that you're not the one, you're not, you know, where everything ends. You have other people on your team and you should always reach out. Um, if you have questions or concerns, um, talk to them and also be that, be there for them as well. Because sometimes people will come to you and you can say, I don't know, let's figure it out together or let me do some research and I'll call you back. And sometimes you just figure things out together. Um, even when you expect people would know the answer. And I think that's really important is communication. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast episode. There were so many gems dropped, but let's be honest. Who got time to replay, pause, and write down all that information shared? Shoot, I know I don't, but don't worry. I got you. Download Toby Talks app on Google Play for nursing resources, definitions, and so much more that were mentioned on today's episode. Toby Talk app features show notes that timelines the conversation and lets you click directly to the resource or definition. And it even lets you bookmark the gem for later. Listen, we're too busy learning how to save lives or even saving lives as nurses to deal with a replay button. Toby Talk app is your one-stop shop for podcast episodes and show notes. For more on Toby Talks, like the blogs and videos, go to my website at www.tobytodge.com. And you know I love to hear from you guys, so feel free to slide into my DMs on IG or Facebook and hit me up through email. That's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Again, that's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Till next time, I'll be talking to you soon.